0: Well, good morning, everyone. It is good to see you. As many of you know, uh, my name is Joe Franzone, and I serve here as the pastor of West Cohasset. I've been on sabbatical for the past three months, and now here I am, all spared and uh, Lord willing, back in my pulpit uh, this summer. Uh, very early on, I understood that this was a gift, so um, I want to thank you for that. Also, I want to thank those who filled the pulpit while I was away, and also I want to thank the staff for their hard work while I was away. Both made my return this past Tuesday pretty much seamless. And so I wanna thank you as well. Many of you had and have communicated that uh, to myself that you were praying for my family and I, and I can't tell you how um, tremendously encouraging that was to hear, so I wanna thank you as well. But you might be interested in what I did while I was away. Well, that information is actually ready, and it's soon going to be coming. In the meantime, uh, if you um, see me around and you have a question or two about what I did, I would be happy to um, try to answer that. So please feel free to ask me. Along those same lines, if you're new to West Cohasset, and we haven't met as of yet, and you would like to, um, then I would count it an honor to meet you. So just uh, keep that in mind. Okay, if your Bible is open, I would invite you to turn to Matthew chapter 9, page 687 in the church Bibles. And I'm actually going to read the whole chapter, um, but just to set the context for us, our interest is only in the the remaining few verses, but it helps me and I would hope that it would help you to hear God's word read out loud. So we're going to do that. Matthew chapter 9, page 687, in the Church Bibles, verse 1. Jesus stepped into a boat, crossed over, and came to his own town. Some men brought to him a paralytic lying on a mat. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, "'Take heart, son, your sins are forgiven.' At this, some of the teachers of the law said to themselves, "'This fellow is blasphemy.' Knowing their thoughts, Jesus said, "'Why do you entertain evil thoughts in your hearts?' Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk? But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, then he said to the paralytic, get up, take up your mat, and go home. And the man got up and went home. When the crowd saw this, they were filled with awe, and they praised God who had given such authority to men. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. Then John's disciples came and asked him, How is it that we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? Jesus answered, How can the guest of the bridegroom mourn while he's with them? The time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them. Then they will fast. No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch will pull away from the garment, making the tear worse. Neither do men pour new wine into old wineskin. If they do... The skins will burst, the wine will run out, and the wineskin will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins, and both are preserved. While he was saying this, a ruler came and knelt before him and said, My daughter has just died, but come and put your hand on her, and she will live. Jesus got up and went with him, and so did his disciples. Just then a woman who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak. She said to herself, if I only touch his cloak, I will be healed. Jesus turned and saw her, take heart, daughter. He said, your faith has healed you. And the woman was healed from that moment. Jesus entered the ruler's house and saw the flute players and the noisy crowd. He said, go away. The girl is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. After the crowd had been put outside, he went in and took the girl by the hand and she got up. News of this spread throughout all that region. As Jesus went on from there, two blind men followed him, calling out, Have mercy on us, son of David. When he had gone indoors, the blind men came to him and he asked them, Do you believe that I'm able to do this? Yes, Lord, they replied. Then he touched their eyes and said, According to your faith, will it be done to you? And their sight was restored. Jesus warned them sternly, See that no one knows about this. But they went out and spread the news about him all over that region. While they were going out, a man who was demon-possessed and could not talk was brought to Jesus. And when the demon was driven out, the man who had been mute spoke. The crowd was amazed and said, nothing like this has ever been seen in Israel. But the Pharisees said, it's by the prince of demons that he drives out demons. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. And then verse 36, here's where our interest lies this morning. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Amen. Thanks be to God for his word. Let's pray together, please. Our gracious God, as we come now to um, this given moment, a moment of absolute necessity, we thank you that we are in the presence of your risen Son and in the company of others who love him. And so we ask that as we turn now to the Bible, that we would hear from you, the living God, and you would help us to understand, to believe, putting these things into practice, which we have taken from yourself. Father, we would ask just finally as we think about the world around us. So many people on this day do not have a peaceful place to say. And so we think about Syria and the many refugees that are making their way through Turkey to Hungary and Europe. And we think immediately, God, about the psalmist who said that some people wandered in desert wastelands finding no city where they could settle. They were hungry and they were thirsty and their lives were ebbing away. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble and he delivered them from their distress. He led them by a straight way to a city where they could settle. And Father, on behalf of those thousands of refugees, we intercede for them now. And we would ask God that you would bring them to a peaceful, safe place where they could settle and if determined, God, make life anew there. Thank you, God, for hearing our prayer. In Christ's name, Amen. Well, as I said, the last three verses of chapter 9 is where our primary interest lies this morning. And I think you will see if your Bible's open or if your Bible's turned on, because some of you might have smartphones or other devices, if you're looking at that, you'll see that these final verses are essentially Matthew's summary statement of that which has taken place in the ministry of Jesus. And as you were listening to chapter 9 being read, I do hope that you were, you were noticing the great extent of the ministry of Jesus, how, how busy Jesus was, and how Jesus chiefly had a word and work ministry that was just dripping with compassion on the souls of men and women. Verse 35b, do you see it there? Preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. I also hope that you were taking note that when men and women turned to Jesus Christ in childlike faith, their lives were dramatically changed. And if you look at your Bible, what you'll see in verses 8 and verses 26, verse 31 and verses 33, that praising God and telling people what Jesus had done for them was part and parcel of that change. Okay, praising God and telling people what Jesus had done for them, two marks of the transforming power of Jesus Christ, public worship and personal evangelism. When Jesus gets a hold of somebody, two things happen, public worship, personal evangelism. Consequently, both in his works, his healings, and in the power of his word, his his preaching and his personal communication, Jesus is making an impact for the kingdom of God. And Matthew records for us that when Jesus saw the crowds, he saw them in a certain kind of way. In a certain kind of way, for a certain kind of work, and the work was very plain, isn't it? To reap the harvest of souls. Remember that old-fashioned word, soul winning And clearly then, as you consider the verses, even a child can understand that the prayer that Jesus instructs the disciples to pray places the duty of this soul winning work on those who would profess faith in Jesus Christ. Now, one of the things that struck me while I was away, reading and and listening to talks about this, literally and figuratively, and I'll tell you more about that in the coming weeks. I took stock of my own life and I determined how often I fail in the duty of personal evangelism and seeing unbelieving people become followers of Jesus Christ. Because one of the things I needed to ask myself is is if I'm going to take seriously the privilege and the responsibility of reaching other people with the good news that Christ has died for sins and that he offers them eternal life and a right standing with God right now based on Jesus alone right now. If I'm going to take that privilege and responsibility seriously, then I had to ask myself the question, what am I doing to that appointed in? So as we think about our context here as a local church, least of all in less than a few days, the soon coming potential under God to see a great number of people come here this Saturday, pig roast, it begs the question, Are you and I going to take seriously the privilege and responsibility of taking the good news to unbelieving people? In essence, are you and I personally going to do something about this? So I've been asking myself that question all summer. I've been asking myself that question this week. And I wonder if you can see there in these verses, there's at least four things which are part and parcel of the ministry of Jesus, of the person of Jesus, and therefore, if you would, need to be part of the ordinary life of the Christian. Somewhere along the road, we've got to understand that personal evangelism is not exceptional. It is ordinary. And so better still, an ordinary part of a congregation who takes seriously the, the privilege, and it is a privilege, and the responsibility of appealing to people in our context with the good news of Jesus. So first of all, if your Bible is open, you can flip to the back of the worship folder, you'll see our first little phrase there, uh, seen clearly. Verse 36, when he saw the crowds. A question, question then, why did Jesus see the crowds? Well, because he was looking. If you don't look, you won't see. It's pretty simple. I hope you don't miss this because it's very much possible to walk around in the routines of our days and not engage people at all. That's what's sort of the weird thing about our culture right now. We can go around and do stuff and not make any eye contact with people at all if we do not want to. So the result of this is whether we're walking with our heads down or walking, you know, with no eye contact made is that we never see people's eyes. And if we don't see their eyes, then in essence, we never see the windows of their souls. We never see what's happening inside of them. Because the eyes oftentimes are the windows of a person's soul. And we fail to see them. And so if we fail to see them, then we're not looking at them and we'll never wonder about them. And we'll never speak to them. And if we never speak to them, then we're never going to ask them the most loving question that any other human can ask another human being. Have you made amends with Jesus Christ through repentance and faith in him? Not, are you right with God? Have you made amends with Jesus Christ through repentance and faith in him? But again, not not only individually, but community. I mean, we're busy people, some of us. High traffic areas, grocery stores, shopping places, pushing the cart. Have you you ever had this happen to you? You're pushing the cart and suddenly you're looking at all the people and your belly just gets, not good, not bad, it just gets unsettled. And you begin to wonder, where do all these people come from? And what are they doing? And what is their life like right now? Are they worried? Are they afraid? And then you ask yourself the question, where are they going? Not like where are they going when they leave, but where are they going when their life on this earth ceases to exist? You see, loved ones, if we're going to take our Bible seriously, then there is a broad road that leads to destruction. And by nature, men and women are on it. And then there is a narrow road that leads to life, and few there be that find it. When our kids are really small, we had a good time, uh, habit, I think as a family, we did have a good time, (laughs) but we had a good habit as a family that anytime we would hear a siren of an ambulance, we would stop as best we could, whatever we were doing, and, and we would pray for all the people involved in that incident, whether it be the first responders or the people in the ambulance and so on. Now, somewhere through the course of the years, I can't tell you why we stopped doing that. We stopped. However, it was so funny and it was so telling that the first siren that I heard after I dropped off my son to university, I suddenly remembered that little habit that we had. And I went right back to praying. Loved ones, the sirens are going off. The divine plan for moving people from the broad road of destruction to the narrow road of eternal life is out there. And those of us who who name the name of Christ, we have always been part of that project. We've always been involved in that equation. And at the very heart of this then is the way that we view people. That we see people as Christ sees them. And in order that to take place, we're going to have to look at them clearly. That we see them no longer as we once saw them. That's what Paul says, 2 Corinthians 5.16. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. In other words, when we look at people, we no longer see them in terms of their status in life, uh, uh, their business acumen, their athletic ability, uh, ability, their beauty, or whatever advantage they might give us if we, quote, you know, become friends with them. No, we look at people in a whole new way because Jesus Christ has transformed us. So I made a list this week. I made a list of all the ways that we should not view crowds when, Lord willing, they come onto this campus. Can I give them to you? One, we dare not view them as customers. The the priority isn't business contacts. Two, we, we dare not view them as clutter I can't believe all these people are here and you know how long it's going to take to clean up this mess and they're touching this and they're touching that and we dare not view them in terms of cost and we dare not view them in terms of competition would you just look at her would you just look at him would you look at them And they are like wow where do these people come from and then there's me I say to myself, we don't look at crowds that way. We look at crowds the way God looks at crowds, the way Christ looks at crowds. And here we find that he cherishes people. Would God, if we need it, God clean up our eyes? That takes us to our second point. See carefully. Uh, Number two, cared deeply. Verse 36. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. Now, one of the things about the disciples, if you read your Bible, they had this continuing problem of just messing things up. They'd never looked carefully and they never cared deeply. Let me give you two examples. One, there's a guy named Blind Bartimaeus. And he's crying out loud as a blind guy would when Jesus comes across the scene and he wants to be healed. And so the disciples are not looking carefully. They're not caring deeply. They think wrongly. And they do what they do best and try to shut the blind man up because, quote, Jesus is doing ministry. Don't bother Jesus. He's doing ministry. In the same way, there was a group of little children and, and they invaded the worship service of Jesus. The disciples couldn't see what they needed to see and they didn't care. And Jesus had to set them straight. So again, verse 36, and when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. This is a quote from uh, J.I. Packard. There is nothing more unchristian than losing interest in our fellow man or woman. Again, there is nothing more unchristian than losing interest in our fellow man or woman. I listened to every sermon except one while I was away. No one quoted from the Beatles I figured it was time you needed to hear from the Beatles. All the lonely people, where do they all come from? All the lonely people, where do they all belong? <laughs> In heaven. And by the way, the Greek word that Matthew chooses for compassion, it's an awfully painful word. It has the idea of stomach spasms. This is the deep, gut-wrenching turning of the stomach. Now, many of us know what that feels like in other circumstances, but here it's because the crowd themselves are in pain. And so because the crowd is in pain, Jesus is in pain because they know, he knows that they have pain. They're lost. So he cared deeply. He had compassion on them because verse 36, they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Now, literally, that could read they were torn and thrown down. They were pelted crowds and they were thrown away. Now, clearly, the context in Matthew 9 is the dreadful religion and the dreadful leadership of the Pharisees. The puffy-headed pretenders who would always clean out themselves on the outside for show to be seen by men and women and oh, how they loved to be seen by the crowds. But their hearts were wicked They were greedy, they were unrepentant, they were judgmental, and they were, worst of all, self-righteous. Now, it's interesting, isn't it? One of the things that we know about the Pharisees and the crowds is that the Pharisees would use the crowds to to pander to their own needs and pander to their ego. So, in essence, to feed their ego. Oh, how they loved the crowds because the crowds were their little audience and they could give their little show. Christ sees the crowds and his heart is sick for them. Okay, that was then, what about now? Uh, Century 21, is it like century one? Where we have people on the airwaves, radio waves, social media, and and unfortunately behind pulpits, who use people, use the crowds, to line the religious pockets and to boost their ego. Then there's the evil one he's doing as he did in the ancient world. He's put a God on every corner. The subjective nature of humanity being that we find it necessary to fashion our own little God for our own little age and own little stage in life. Okay, so where do these false notions and false ideas and false gods and, and false teachers, if you would, where do they leave so many people? Where do they leave the crowds? Well, Jesus gives us the answer. They are harassed and they are helpless. They are, they are torn and thrown down. They are pelted and thrown away. Like sheep without a shepherd. And so what is the response of Christ while these people still have life and breath? Is it nothing? Is it judgmental? Is it why you dirty, rotten, no good for nothing sinner? No, there will be a final judgment. It will be a proper judgment. But now Christ looks at the crowds and his stomach is turning and his heart is breaking. He's caring deeply. Rescue the perishing. Care for the dying. Snatch them in pity from sin and the grave. Weep o'er the erring one. Lift up the fall them. Tell them of Jesus. He's mighty to save. Archbishop William Temple said, The church is the only institution that exists primarily for for the benefit of those who are not its members. Church, the only institution that exists primarily for the benefit of those who are not its members. And surely Jesus would agree with this. Jesus loved crowds. Now, loved ones, I can become so alarmed about myself when I can see crowds of people And I can read my Bible and I can believe my Bible. And in my case, I can preach my Bible, but do very little about this on a personal level. And I'm not just talking about praying and giving to missions as important as praying and giving to missions is. But in the same vein of those first eight verses of chapter nine, what's easier to do? Give money and pray for the world? As hard as prayer is to do or to go across the street to go into our social circles proclaiming the need for our friends and neighbors and acquaintances to repent and believe on Christ. What's easier? I mean, be honest. Praying and giving, our personal evangelism, and our personal context. That's a question that you're going to have to answer. I'm going to have to answer. Our Lord demonstrated a pattern of passionate commitment to spread the good news of the kingdom of God in his context in his context thirdly it's essential that we not only look carefully care deeply but third think properly verse 37 then he said to his disciples the harvest is plentiful but the laborers are few so as you think about that is it possible that the disciples were, were upside down on this and Jesus needed to help them did they think that there are actually plenty of us but not so many out there Or were they thinking that there's enough of us? Why would we bring some people in and spoil this lovely little group? Lovely little group. I have a friend who always seems to be harassed by people who come to him and say, "Uh, you don't need to share the gospel with people. Because it really doesn't matter. God is sovereign over the affairs of men. Kind of hyper-Calvinist idea. God is sovereign. Whoever he wants to save, he will save. So you can zip it. You can put on your swimsuit, put on your sandals, and relax. Which sounds an awful lot like a story of William Carey, missionary William Carey. This was in the 1700s. He was meeting with the Baptist, a Baptist mission organization, and he stood to argue that people in India needed to, uh, become, unbelie- uh, needed to become followers of Jesus Christ he was abruptly interrupted by a minister who said, and I'm quoting here, he said, young man, sit down. You are an enthusiast. When God pleases to convert the heathen, he'll do it without consulting you or me. However, that man failed to recognize that the same grace that saves men and women, and we know that, is the same grace that ordains the means for men and women to be saved. And God's plan is clearly that he uses his people as fragile as we are, as rebellious as we can be. And as his people think like he thinks and sees like he sees and cares like he cares, then they'll see that the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. In other words, the ratios are off between the opportunity that is presented and the number of workers who are needed. There are, for example, there's plenty of customers, but not enough people on the sales team to fill out the orders. Now, all summer long, I kept reading about the great economic potential in India. Uh, They have a progressive leader there. He likes to tweet all the time and he wants to modernize the nation. And I read, I read, excuse me, all summer that there are so many nations right now investing in India. Okay, so why are they doing this? Because they understand the great opportunity that presents itself. It's just a financial one, but they still understand hundreds of billions of investment dollars on its way into India. Okay, so you say, well, they must know something. Well, they do know something. India has a population of just under 1.3 billion People In their realm, they know that the harvest is plentiful. So they're going to do something. They are thinking properly in that realm. Loved ones, the picture that we try to keep before us, or at least we should, is that great scene in Revelation 7. The great multitude standing before the throne of God, the the seed of Abraham, that, that is like the sands of the sea and the stars in the sky. That's an incredible amount. I played in the sand this summer quite often incredible amount. And what Jesus does here, when he declares this to them in verse 37, is he's giving them revealed truth. Now listen carefully. This is the truth, guys, he's saying. The harvest is plentiful. You cannot work your way out of this truth. The harvest is plentiful. Peter, James, John, Andrew, Philip, so on. The harvest is plentiful. Jesus had to do the same thing with them when he was speaking to the woman at the well. Remember that story? The disciples come up, they have their bags of lunch, they're ready to eat, and they find Jesus talking to a lady, but they couldn't see, and they didn't care, and they weren't thinking, and they were just talking about lunch. Now, we know lunch is important. It's a great thing to have lunch, but John's gospel tells us, strangely, that the disciples never ask a question about the woman. Jesus so Jesus has to turn to them and say guys what are you doing do not say four more months and then the harvest I tell you open up your eyes and look at the fields look at them they are white and ripe for harvest even now the sower and reaper draw their wages it's good times out there guys you see the disciples were not thinking properly and loved ones at this point in our church history I'm asking the question are we like them? Are we like them? How long has it been since you or I went up the street, knocked on the door or to the coffee house or wherever, with gospel intentions purely? Okay, So we understand we had a kind of a strange summer in our nation. OK, maybe we have convinced ourselves that things are so bad for Christians that we're not A-listers anymore, that no one wants to become one. <laughs> when were we ever A-listers? <laughs> And we dare not hide behind the fact that because some people do personal evangelism poorly that we won't do it at all. This is what I know from personal experience little though it be. If we engage properly and respectfully and keeping all our secondary convictions at bay you know how raising kids, taxes, Iran, whatever keep those things at bay. Most people will talk And open up on things that will just stun you. The one time that I had that happen this summer, only once, the young man poured out his soul. So maybe Jesus is asking Have we considered all the people that are coming here this Saturday? Have we seen all the crowds going by the church? Are we looking at people in the way that Jesus would look at them in the places that we frequent? Are we looking? Are we caring? Are we thinking? And finally, praying sincerely. Verse 38, ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Now, if you look at verse 38, the NIV, I think, does a kind of a poor job translating the word ask. Because the Greek word lends itself to begging. Begging. Earnestly, I think is what the RSV says. Earnestly pray, beseech God, Uh, plead with God. So Jesus says to his followers, pray, plead, beg the the Lord of the harvest. And it's written, as you would guess, because Jesus loves people, it's written in the imperative. In other words, this is a command from Christ to his people on how they should pray. Pray this way, Uh, earnestly plead with God, Lord of the harvest, Send out workers into your harvest fields. So what he's doing, in essence, he's asking his core team to ask him to send out workers. And if you turn the page, if you're there, if you peek ahead to chapter 10, what you're going to find is, is that the very people he told to pray, presumably pray, and they become the answer to their own prayers. It's great, right? Lord, send out workers into the harvest field, and then, as it were, in mere moments... They were in that field, his field, doing their duty. They were filling their bags with people. Figuratively. Not literally. Now, if you think about that, that is awfully good. I put in my notes this. Prayer is not a substitute for the work, nor is it the Christian's only work. But it's part of the work, because without it, the work will not meet with any degree of success. In other words, our baskets will be empty. We'll have no produce in the, in the bags, no people in the bags. Is my bag empty? Is your bag empty? Look out your window of your home. Those of you who live way off in the country, look out your car window when you get out. The fields are ready. Jesus said so. So this is Labor Day weekend, isn't it? It's fitting, Labor Day. This is hard work. Isn't it praying and laboring in the fields? It's hard work. No doubt. William Cowper from an earlier age wrote a hymn on prayer when he said, What various hindrances we meet in coming to his mercy seat. Yet those who know the worth of prayer wishes to be often there. For Satan trembles when he sees the weakest saint upon his knees. And if prayer can be that difficult. Surely personal evangelism can be just as difficult. So we need help. One of the things we surely need to do is we need to keep our eyes on our master. And what we find in the example of Jesus, we find that one who looked down carefully from heaven to earth. And he had pity on all of us right now who name the name of Christ. And being so moved, he came down And then coming down, he went up on the cross. And on the cross, he died. And then he went down into the ground, only to go up again and pray and plead now before the Father for his own. That's Jesus. But that's not all. One of the last things that Jesus said to his followers, Acts chapter 1, verse 8, and you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Power for what? Power to be my witness. And I don't know about you, but that's the kind of power that I dreadfully and personally need. Marvin Gaye, the singer. I listened to a lot of Marvin Gaye this summer. He has a classic song, which I'm going to baptize now. The classic song is what's going on. And he has this line that says this. Talk to me. Pray. Talk to me. So you can see What's going on? What's going on? Looking, caring, thinking, praying, as we trust that God will answer this prayer and send out workers and do his harvest and harvest. Let's bow together and pray. Those will be serving at communion, if you would please now come forward. God, our Father, we thank you that You love us with an everlasting love, and that the Lord Jesus came seeking to save the lost. We thank you for your compassion, which carried himself to people of all kinds of circumstances as we read, sick people, rich people, needy people, broken people. And in love, Jesus speaks and helps and heals and saves. Jesus, how good and perfect and wonderful you are. So we ask as fragile as we know ourselves to be. Knowing that you often use the week to do your best work, that you would please help us to see clearly, to care deeply, to think properly, and to pray earnestly and be prepared to go into our context so that we who profess faith in Christ may it be about the business of sharing this good news with those who do not believe. Father, please help us to this end for Jesus' sake. Amen.